All right, good morning. A couple more announcements. Uh, first, um, offering time, the, the text to give. And I'm just saying, a lot of you probably haven't heard me say this in, in person. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're existing because you're, you're giving by principle, staying faithful. Um, you're giving online, you're giving uh, in, in the mailbox, and you're giving by text. And if you brought your offering today, there's a box at the back of the door and one at the door going out. And thank you. Thank you for your, for your faithfulness and uh, keeps the house going. Uh, there's also, today we're, we're finishing a love offering uh, for the Elmore family and to bless them as they're going out. And so don't miss the opportunity to sow into that offering. I think we're gonna, it's going to be fun to give that. Uh, I think I've already told you that uh, uh, Charlie stays on uh, paid staff. Or, uh, he's, he's, he's paid by the church through January 1st. And uh, he's not on paid staff, he's free. Which brings me to um, and, I, and this thing finally came around to me, Charlie, so I have it clear now. You guys remember Amick Cutler who came and did music for us, did worship for us? So Amick is the one that first said to somebody in the church, he said, Charlie is, he said, Charles is man and Charlie is free man. He, so he changed his name, has it been two years ago? Um, from man to free man. And when somebody heard that explained, their sanctified response was, oh crap, that means Charlie will be leaving soon. And when, and when uh, Charlie's resignation was announced, he came and told me about that. And uh, I just love the fact that the church is filled with, with revelation in all kinds of ways, and that it happens abundantly. I'm also grateful for, because I didn't know, I didn't know that meaning, and, and, and I'm happy for you to in, uh, enter your 49th year so actually you're entering your 50th year because you've, you've, you've turned 49. So you're going, is that right? What are, how old are you? 49. So you're into your 50th year, right? Right? Come on, Charlie. Hey, listen, man. 50 is Jubilee. is free man multiplied free man so um, may you be so free that you may you be free of financial constraint to do what God's put in your heart may you be free of uh, of external constraint that you can be free for what you want to want to do may you be free of internal turmoil so that you can be free to do what God's called you to do. May you be free in every way and may the fullness of God's freedom come upon you and your wife and your children and your children's children. In Jesus' name. So there's that. Now while I'm telling that, that gives me an, another opportunity. Uh, we, we are going to have... Um, 
a 20th anniversary celebration. And the way it's going to unfold is the last Wednesday of, of September, we're going to meet down here at the Wildflower Park for an open-air prayer meeting because, because when we began, we began in a park. So we're going to be in a different park and have a prayer meeting. And then on that weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays of, uh, of October, when there won't be a balloon fiesta, because God got rid of it so we could celebrate our 20th anniversary. Uh, we are going to have that celebration and coming in to lead us in worship is going to be Amy Cutler. He's going to lead us in worship for those of you who remember him. And a guy named Chris Reed. Let me just have fun. Any of you heard of Chris Reed? Good. Good. Dude's going to blow your mind. And uh, he's going to come in and... And be our minister. He is a, a, a prophetic minister. And words of knowledge is his particular gift of anointing. Uh, and I mean like specific words of knowledge. And so it'll be a lot of fun. I met him in, in Oklahoma. And we've hit off a friendship. And so I don't think we'll be having any of our old favorites here and present with us. But we will have him, and we're going to do as many services as we need to do to socially distance and get people an opportunity to be blessed, okay? So that's coming, and then Leif Hetland in November. All right? Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Ready to have fun? It's time to have some more fun. Today, we're going to finish our preach on time. Charlie's going to come up and lead us in communion, and... Then we will close the service and have a time of uh, being grateful, blessing them, um, and we'll just see what God does. And uh, thank you for being here. It's good, it's good that some of you have come out for, the, for your first time out in a bit. I'm grateful to see you. Spirit-filled families. Except today we turn, to, we turn to children. So the book of Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then out of being filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, now here's how men relate to women and women to men. Here's how fathers relate to children. And here's how slaves relate to masters. Now I'm not gonna get to the slaves and masters. In fact, next week I'm gonna preach on slavery. And, and it has some context for us right now, doesn't it? So I'll talk about uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the teaching about that. Um, the spirit-filled slave. Um, but for today, we're gonna finish up on the family. There were some things that, that have been burning in me that I didn't get to in these messages about the family. Uh, and in fact, there's a lot really, but let's do this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the first verse your children memorized, Remember? You taught them this. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, having done that, I'm gonna do what your pastor doesn't do very often, and that is 
I'm going to exegete the scripture along and later, but I'm going to trail off to a couple of things that I wanted to finish with about men and women. I want to give you a postscript on women as it relates to Christianity. So listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you some interesting good news historically about women, and then I'm going to give you some troubling news about men and boys because it needs to be said and because the church of Jesus Christ needs to have a different way among us. So a postscript on women. Uh, the percentage of Christian women, especially among the upper classes, was larger than Christian men. Now this is a quote from Rodney Stark. Some of you, have y'all heard of Rodney Stark? I've mentioned him, a few of you might remember him. If any of you, how many, anybody read one of his books? Rodney Stark is one of my favorite writers. He is not, to my knowledge, a confessing Christian. He's like a lot of scholars these days who are warm to the Christian worldview, but uh, not, not confessing believers or disciples of Jesus. Now, I like it when people uh, of that ilk talk to us about us because we're pretty prejudiced for us and they're not necessarily. So it's helpful when you get a good word. Rodney Stark's written a number of books. He was a professor of sociology from Baylor University and a resident of Corrales, New Mexico. If he's still living, I don't know if he's still living. Years ago when I read his first book, I found out he was in Corrales and I tried to interview him. He wasn't having it, which was, which was fine. Um, I, I think he must have thought I wouldn't sell many books for him. So. so I've just bought them all. If you see a book by Rodney Stark, get it. It will be worth your while. Whether it's about science and religion or whether it's about comparative religions or whether it's a, a, um, this one here about the triumph of Christianity, how the Jesus movement began uh, the world's largest, became the world's largest religion. One of the reasons he said was because Christianity, unlike any religion in antiquity, was favorable to women. And he gives lots of lines of evidence. Uh, one of them was here. He said uh, upper class women were drawn to Christianity uh, because it offered them a life that was so greatly superior to the life they otherwise would have had. Uh, I, by the way, I've been coming against the idea that people have said that that in, in Christianity, uh, women were little more than property. That's never been the case. It may have been functionally worked out in a few radical groups, but never been the case in Christianity. Um, you know, women is property. Don't try that. Don't try that. In fact, women had equality is what he says. And uh, he, I'll just, I'm not going to read these full quotes. I read more than I was comfortable with last night. And so you can read, and I'll commend you to the book. He says, recent objective evidence leaves no doubt that early Christian women did enjoy far greater equality with men than their pagan and Jewish counterparts. 
So there was a business of the way, especially the Pauline, well, and the Gospels, the way those documents are written um, are favorable for women with regard to equality. He points out the business of honor. And he says that if you go to the catacombs and you inspect, um, he said there was over, what, almost 4,000 cases that were found. He says, this near equality in the commemoration of males and females is something that's peculiar to Christians and sets them apart from non-Christian populations of the city. In other words, he says there were, there were lengthy inscriptions at their, at their burial sites. And he says it was not only true of adults, but also true of the children. So in other words, showing that there's a greater honor. Men, live with her that way. Live with her that way. Don't just commemorate her that way. Live with her that way. And, and I'm, I'm very, very big on the, the marriage is sowing and reaping. I'm also big on the fact that, that sometimes you sow something that doesn't grow for a little while. But I'll tell you this, the guy who sows nothing reaps in kind. Every farmer understands if you want a crop, sow. I never, I almost never use the sowing and reaping analogy towards money because that's how it's always used. I use it towards getting out of life what you want from it. Whatever it is you want in life, you sow it and you will get it. And uh, if you're wondering what you're sowing, people will tell you. The superior situation of women vis-a-vis their pagan sisters began at birth. The exposure of unwanted infants was widespread in the, wanted, in the Roman Empire. Here's what that meant. Many, many times if you had um, a second daughter, they literally left those children to die because sons were so preferred. And this has been true um, in, in much of history. And so exposure means they were, they were allowed to die. So, so it's like post-birth death. Check it out here, what he says. Um, in keeping with their Jewish, uh, no, no. Christians condemn the exposure of infants as murder. As Justin Martyr said, we have been taught that it is uh, wicked to expose even newborn children for we would then be murderers. So this is a earliest, one of the earliest Christian writings, and this is the attitude about children uh, uh, imme- immediately after birth. Now listen, guys. Uh, nowadays, the way that that problem would be taken care of is abortive methods. So you can do your inference from this as to what you think about that. And uh, nothing has more concerned me than the fact that that the abortion laws that are being considered are extending now to the very time of birth and failed abortions more and more are being left to exposure. This is, no, this is, no, this is nothing to trifle at. And I have been a resistor to the idea of, 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 of abortion being equated with murder. I've resisted that for a long time. Uh, because a murder has an intent to it, but as these more extreme defini- this, uh, more extreme practices of abortion, the the ability to parse it 
from murder becomes, the burden becomes on the person. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I'm getting older and bolder. Uh, divorce was forbidden, and that and and uh, that was in the ancient world. That was a, very much of a protection against for for women. And a, a, a divorced woman is often abandoned, even as a widowed woman could be abandoned. Although there was one preventative thing about that in the ancient world, which is this: there was a shortage of women. So it really wasn't uncommon for a wife to have multiple partners vis-a-vis uh, -vis the death of her husband uh, or, or divorce. But among the Christians, there was an abundance of marriageable daughters. Now, what this did was two things. It made women flock toward Christianity and it made Christianity grow in that you led your children to Christ and your children then uh, led, uh, led, let me get where I'm going. They led their spouses to Christ as I'll come to in a minute. This, the next point that Stark makes is uh, conjugal responsibility. Basically, uh, he was saying, uh, uh, Paul, I'm gonna read this to you if I can find it where I can see it. Paul is very supportive of marital sexuality as is entirely evident in the verse leading, uh, leading to the one quoted, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse one another except perhaps by agreement for a season that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, lest Satan tempt you through the lack of self-control. In fact, devout Christians, married couples, may have had sex more often than the average couple because brides were more mature when they married and because husbands were less likely to take up with other women. So, the marital age, according to research of women for Christians, was higher than it was for pagans. Pagans and uh, pagans had less the women had less choice about when they married or who they married and christians empowered the girls much more the fact that he spoke about conjugal responsibility in a dual way is one of the things it's frankly a measure of equality for men and women um Clear the mechanism out. All right. Then he goes on to talk about intermarriage. So because there were more daughters among the Christians, there was, there was, a, there was literally a surplus of daughters. And, married, and, and daughters would often marry non-believers. I know how you quote the unequally yoked passage, but we'll go there and show that it probably has a different meaning than you think. But, but women quite often found themselves in marriages where the husbands were not converted. And Peter and Paul both gave them instructions for how to deal with that. The rise of Christianity depended upon women in response to the special appeal that the faith had for women. 
the early church drew substantially more females than male converts. And in a world where women were in short supply, having an excess of women gave the church a remarkable advantage because it resulted in disproportionate Christian fertility and a considerable number of secondary conversions. Y'all know what a secondary conversion is? Primary conversions happen two ways. They happen in, in, in the children of families and they happen in people who are outside the faith coming to the faith first time. Secondary conversions uh, have more to do with um, your downline from the one who, who, who got married. So often in the world, when the head of a family would become a Christian, the whole family would become a Christian. It would be secondary conversions. But, it would, but, but that would generally happen through a chief or a leader or somebody like that. But secondary conversions among Christians also happened in marriages where the female um, was a Christian. She would often raise her children as Christians and then her husband would come often belligerently or slowly, but then ultimately make an embrace of the faith. And so this happened a lot. And I know every parent with daughters is going, you're not telling our daughters to marry unbelievers. I'm not telling them anything because I can't and neither can you. No, you can. You absolutely can. That's a little joke. Don't die. Nobody's going to die. <laughs> so Christianity was favorable to and had... And, and had a, a good effect on women. Now, and if you heard, I had fun because a few times I got comments on how I taught on the marriage thing. And because I, I taught it in such a, in such a Christ-centered, I don't, I'm not, I didn't teach it in an egalitarian way. I taught it in a Christ-centered way. That's different. Because I, I don't teach marriage on the basis of um, who can demand their rights? Now, Paul can assert that you have some. I teach marriage on the basis of who you are, who you're following, what following Jesus creates in the dynamic of the relationship. And I'm after, I'm after great marriages. All right, postscript on men. A little bit troubling here. This, this stuff is, this stuff, first of all, surprised me. Uh, and it didn't surprise me. Um, what actually surprised me is this quote that I'm about to give you. Um, but guys, men are not doing well. Anybody confused about this? Um, there, are two or th there are two or three factors that are huge. One of the factors in men not doing well is the is the overreach of feminism in our culture. A second, but probably the more devastating factor is the absence of men in the family. Um, the absence of, the, the absence of, of a loving male, a loving man, a loving husband, in the family has created so much havoc. Um, and it's one of the reasons that boys aren't doing well. I could, uh, by the way, secular 
as well as Christian authors are almost universally agreed on this. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the writings of, what's her name here? Christina Hoff Summers. Um, she wrote a book about 10 years ago, uh, actually almost 20 years ago, and then updated it about 10 years ago, called The War on Men. A liberal feminist author who said she simply looked at the data and said the data is showing us that what we're doing is giving us an outcome that's not good. Now, I have to be careful because it's a, it's a strange thing, and I, I don't know this odd effect. If you talk positively about men and, and boys, and if you talk with concern about them, uh, I do find that sometimes women who have been on the receiving end of bad experiences with men and boys uh, hear me saying something I'm not saying. So in no way does your pastor advocate abusive and bad behavior on the part of men. But I am saying that something has gone so tragically wrong in our culture that it is creating a problem that we, that we have got to see reversed. All right, so this, this text that I'm gonna read to you, this was written by N.T. Wright. Uh, in 2002, today, the supposedly civilized and sophisticated countries of the world, there's growing a whole generation of young men who feel themselves discriminated against for being, just for being male. They have energy and drive, and it often turns into aggressive aggression and violence with no one to help them direct or channel, channel in it. They, they grow up in broken homes where their natural father has gone and it were gone for good and a succession of other men come and go. Few, if any, care much for them. Still less do they provide appropriate role models. How many times have I heard this story? The teachers at the school they are supposed to, to attend, though they often play truant, are mostly female. Often, the message they pick up is it would be much better to be like girls, to, th to think and feel like girls. Girls are better. Boys and men are part of the problem in the world. Only by radical change can they be part of the solution. The results are well known. Many boys end up in gangs. They use drugs. They become violent. They end up in jail. Many die young. Of course, there are many boys who don't go this route. Often, though they are the fortunate ones who come from good homes or who have been able to develop their minds and bodies with a good education. But the point to note, which influences the way we approach a passage like this in Paul, is that in Western society, uh, the world has for an entire generation now reversed what used to be the assumed stereotype. Since Aristotle, at least, men have regarded women as inferior species, and many women have agreed with the assessment. In the last few decades, this has been reversed in popular consciousness. Now it's the men who have to apologize for being male. The word testosterone, which refers to the hormone that produces and sustains secondary male characteristics, is used dismissively or abusively to indicate that some young male is displaying an unfortunate tendency to be, well, male. So, N.T. Wright, writing uh, almost, uh, almost 20 years ago, the situation has not gotten better. 
Something is happening. Something is happening to men. It's happening in their health. It's happening at birth. It's happening in their nurture. It's happening as they live. Studies, by the way, since I mentioned testosterone, I remember when I first saw the first study that had come along that said that, that male testosterone levels are in general decline. And that, and that uh, literally at one, one, one thing that I read said men uh, of common ages had 30% less testosterone than a generation ago. Literally, their bodies are changing. So I, I, I wonder on this stuff, is this, is this diet? What is this? And I don't know, but I know this. It's time for us as the people of God to bring blessing and not cursing on males and on being male and on masculinity. I refused a few months ago to partner with a, with a spirit that was talking about toxic masculinity because I would say there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There are some males that act bad, but masculinity is the gift of God. It's the creational design of a holy God who made us and, and infused us to be masculine. To be truly masculine in this world is to be um, a protector. It's to be a provider. It's to be an instructor. To be truly masculine in this world is, is to nurture from the place of strength. Now, you know that the, that the, the, the things are, are being blurred. Let me, let me hit you with a few more numbers, and trust me, this is going to overwhelm you. I'm not going to read it all. Here's what we need to be concerned about. For every 100 females who die at age one, 126 males die. One to 14, 130 males die. 15 to 24, 280 males die. In other words, men are dying. Um, if I put these numbers up there and they were applied to women or if they were applied to a minority group, we would move heaven and earth to fix this. With speech disorders, for every 100 females, 168 boys. With ADHD, 237 boys. Special education needs, 189 boys. Autism, which of course has hit my family, 260 boys. With classifications as having emotional disturbance, 355 boys. So I'm saying to you that something's happening both biologically as well as, as you'll see, in nurture and in culture. It's a, it's a very hard time to, to be man and male. And when I look at these numbers, I don't have any wonder why uh, all of the other categories are breaking down. I don't have any problem understanding why the marriage category is breaking down and the male and female definitions are breaking down. We can see it. It's endemic. What can we do about it? Well, you can bless instead of curse. You and I, we are, in fact, I, I would tell you right now, parents, sneak in your children's rooms at night. I know you do. And bless them. Pray in tongues over them. Lay your hand over them and speak blessings over them, male and female. Be, be abundant in your, in your, now listen, here's what this is not. This is not raise children with participation trophies. 
This has raised them with ennobling, uh, empowering words of life. And, and it's believing that you as, a, as a, a carrier of the image of God and one filled with the spirit of God, you have power. So let's bless and not curse. Here's the statistics on children in school. And you can see the, the, what we have there, but this is not even the worst. Um, here is just simple information for every 100 college-bound senior girls. This is the comparison of boys. In the top 10%, there's 79 boys. Honors courses in math, there's 82 boys. Uh, honors courses in natural sciences, 79 boys. Foreign languages, 64 boys. Uh, art and music, 54 boys. Uh, English and language arts, 64 boys. Um, Entering college, going to college, getting degrees in college. So men are actually falling behind in every way. Um, I do believe that the, the Christian um, blessing has been placed on the issue of equality, but I don't think you want this world where men are disempowered, where men are castrated. I don't think you want this world. I don't think we want this world. So we don't want a world where any women are abused and we don't want a world where men are denigrated and lose their identity and lose their abilities. And um, I started to notice this. Um, Gail remembers when. It was in the late 90s. And I said to Gail, something's upsetting me. What is it? Well, I'm watching men and, and there's a lot of men who are just opting out. Out of what? Well, they, they won't work. They won't get married. They won't take responsibility. They're literally just opting out. And at that time, I was angry because I saw it in grown men. And as a grown man, I wanted to kick them. Holy Ghost. No, I, I, that, it, it was, I, was, I was angry. Um, you guys understand me. I, listen, every male in my life, I, did, I can't remember a male in my life who was a recessive male. They were all alphas. I, I was raised in a pride of lions. <laughs> both, both my coaches, my teachers, my parents, my grandparents, um, it was a, we were, it was a meat-eating place. And so I realized, I sometimes realized that, that uh, okay, that, that makes me a bit of an outlier, but probably not for my generation. And I'm not advocating uh, aggression as a remedy. I'm advocating blessing as a remedy. I'm advocating virtue as a remedy. I'm advocating, uh, I'm advocating fathers in the home as a remedy. I'm advocating heal your marriage instead of break it up as a remedy. I'm advocating, uh, I'm advocating the Christian family. Here's where the thing gets dire. For every 100 females who are homeless and unsheltered, there's 242 men. Who have opioid overdose, 212 men. Problems with alcoholism, 200 men. Die on the job. For every 100 women who die on the job, 1,171 men die on the job. 
commits suicide for every 100 women that commit suicide. By the way, women attempt suicide five times more commonly than men, and men achieve it four times more commonly than women. What does that say? Well, that speaks to a male characteristic called aggression. Um, when it comes to aggression, uh, there's a continuum of how aggressive people are. And at the extreme, the, there's, most people are in the middle, but at the extremes of aggressiveness uh, are males, and at the extremes of agreeableness are, are females. You'll find the preponderance in these directions. And so many of the male problems happen with aggression gone wild, which this is what speaks for the need for male community, male nurturing, male fatherhood, generational blessing. Um, those who die of homicide, 600, six times. Those who, do, who are in adult correctional facilities, 10 to one, male to female. Those who are in federal prison, uh, 13 to one, um, male to female. Federal prison usually means the, the worst, more extreme crimes. All right. Gosh, pastor, we all made the effort and came out and you depressed us unbelievably. <laughs> no, I'm blowing a trumpet. I'm giving you a call. I'm giving you a call to action. I'm saying if there's a man in your life, bless that man. I'm saying if there's sons in your lives, come alongside those sons. Encourage those sons. I want you to know it, it's surprising how, how little encouragement it takes over the last few years, I'd gotten interested in a, a secular soci uh, psychologist. Um, some of you have heard of him named Jordan Peterson. And uh, the thing that interested me was he goes around the world with one message, just one message. He says, I got one message, really. It's take some responsibility and get a life. Now, he can say it better than I can. And he, and he, has, uh, he has about three to one uh, male to female listeners on his podcast and about the same ratio who come to his meetings and men come and and the number one thing they say to him they say before I was listening to you my life was like this and after I started listening to you I cleaned up my life I stopped my alcohol I did something about my drug habit I got a job I'm feeling better about myself this is a secular guy. He's, and, and then he st this guy starts to cry because unlike your pastor, he's an empathetic fellow. <laughs> Y'all need to know. I literally bring my wife and say, come along in case somebody needs to cry. <laughs> I'm not unemotional. I just don't have that much access and I can't afford the access I get. He starts to cry because his life has meaning, because he says he's stunned at how little it takes. A little bit of encouragement. And so I'm telling you, you wanna know what men need? A little bit of encouragement. A little bit of encouragement. And it should come from the family of God. It should come from the family of God. One of the mistakes that we made with men well, it's a mistake we made with everybody is the legalistic raising of men. Men don't respond to legalism. They respond to relationship. I'm sure it's the same with women, but today I'm talking about the dudes. 
Let's finish where we started. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How many of you can tell I'm going to have to come back to this? For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So, by the way, this I love this passage because it assumes that children are participants in the church and can be instructed by adults. And I love this passage because then it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. That's a direct statement toward fathers and their aggression, a tendency towards aggression. But bring them up in the discipline and in instruction of the Lord. I'll never forget one of the, one of the things that Gail told me, and I, you just have to keep working on it. But I remember the day when she told me, your children are afraid of you. No, they're not. Right? Right? <laughs> and, and I had to go to work on it. Do we, do we achieve these things hopefully? No, but I got adult children that I'm in relationship with. Right? Kept our love on. Kept our relationship going. Suffered. Got some words from the Lord. There's, there's two pieces of advice I'll give you about parenting. And then we're going to have communion. The first one is, I've said it many times to you, voice train your children. The way you discipline a child is with your voice, not with your fist, not with your hand. Voice train your children. Train them to hear your voice and they'll learn to listen to the father's voice. Secondly, um, fathers don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Secondly, I've said this many times, have a parent-centered home and not a kid-centered home. Don't get yourself trained to their voice. Have them trained to your voice. One of the huge mistakes of this generation is parents are controlled by their children's voices. They control what you eat. They control where you go to church. They control what, how you spend your leisure time. They control, they, control, um, they control many, many things. Get that turned around. And you don't get it turned around with going home and suddenly um, saying, it's a new day. That won't work. You go home by simply saying, hey, we've been kid-centered here. We're going to be parent-centered. And you start telling them what that means. And uh, I'm grateful that I was raised by parents who uh, mostly didn't give me my way. Here endeth the lesson. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord.